0: Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, we're a few days removed from UFC 282, and coming up on today's show, I'm going to give you my thoughts, now that I've had some time to process. I'm going to break down Jan versus Uncle Liam, the new 200-pound world title fight, Patty Pimlet's performance, who Patty should fight next, and a whole bunch more. Guys, let's get into it. Okay, things have settled down. I got to tell you. I don't like about myself kicking somebody when they're down. Ever, ever. And I was a little hard on Blahovitz, and in all fairness, I've never not been hard on him. I'm not sure where that comes from. Now, in my defense, he can handle it, <laughs> okay, right? This is this is this is the baddest dude in the world. Who, by the way, is handsome, is beloved, and's got a bunch of money. He he can handle it. But I do notice over a period of time, right, a coin's got two sides. There's no way that the, that the guy who was the world champion and who I believe just showed he is the best guy in the world, that he's never right. I mean, that's just not possible. So I, I think I need to fix a little bit of my tone. And I would like to tell you guys, I didn't feel I was kicking him because I didn't feel that he was down. It was a draw. It was a draw. I have a couple of thoughts. I have a big problem with Jan conceding that he did not win that fight. I got to word it that way. He was careful. He, He caught himself a little bit to not say that he lost, but that he didn't win that fight. I have a problem with that. I had him up three rounds. He won three rounds. He lost two. Those three rounds were very close. The two that he lost were very dominant. I still have a problem with it. He gets held down for two rounds. We all hate him. Now, now set the judging aside. I'm I'm bringing a little different... We all hate him. He's terrible. Take his opportunity away. This guy's a bum. This fight's fight's awful. A year ago, he beat Israel Adesanya by holding Adesanya down. And we come out of that talking about how boring he is, how that's barely any credit. Adesanya was an 85-pounder and he was outsized. I, I just don't feel that we can do both. Is he a bum because he got held down? was he a bum for holding someone else that he can it just can't be both so we got we got to check our fairness there on yon now let me get back to the score i had him up three rounds i contacted during i believe it was the fourth round but it was it was during the fight i contacted three separate licensed judges Now, I was just looking for an opinion, and that's all they're held to the standard to. They weren't working the match, but these are three experts. These are three guys. This is what they do. I'm not an expert. I have an opinion like you guys. I I will admit, I'm not an expert in judging. There are some intricacies there. I look at a fight, okay, this this, this guy won. And sometimes it's really obvious. Uh, Generally, it's very obvious. Those hard ones, I'm glad I'm not assigned to them. And the sport's better off that I'm not. Can you relate to that? All right. But I got Jan up three rounds. He won the first three rounds. So I send a text to these three gentlemen, not a group text. It was all separate. And I said, Jan is up three ra- rounds. Jan won the first three rounds, comma, correct? Question mark. Exact verbiage. Copy and paste this into three different people. All of them said yes. Now, If any of you think that's crazy and I need to defend that position, don't forget, one judge that was assigned to the fight gave the match to Jan, and by the way, he saw it the same way. He saw it 3-2, and it was the first three to Jan, and it was the next two, and he saw it the same way that I'm arguing I did. Now, you have another judge who had it, Frank Aliyev. And you had a third judge. And I really—I want you to understand this. You had a third judge that also had it the first three rounds for Blahovitz. He had two rounds for Uncle Iev. He's saying the exact same thing that I'm arguing. But one of those rounds was a 10-8. So we have Blahovitz... In a clear popular opinion, and that's not ours, unfortunately we don't get a weigh-in on this, we we have to look at the judges assigned. And when I say clear, 66%, 66% of the judges assigned said Blahovitz won three rounds and that he didn't win two. And for Blahovitz to come out after the fact and say that he for sure didn't win the match, there could have been a sportsmanship there. It was for sure detrimental. It's just the way that it goes. If you ever get to court and the Finnick goes, God damn, yeah, I I did it. I see it the way they say it. They, uh, Yeah. You're not going to get his attorneys there go, no, no, whoa, whoa, hold on a sec. He's wrong. I know he says that he did, but but hold on. He's actually wrong. And let me tell you why. It's never going to work. It's over. It's over. We're done. And he could be innocent. By the way, there are people often that, I mean, it's, we don't have to go down that road. It's a big thing when somebody comes in and makes a, a confession within law enforcement where then they've got to show, well, did he actually do it? I mean, I'm just sharing with you he could have been innocent. There's, there's not a court case in history where he said that he was guilty. And then someone's going, well, you know, hey, not so fast. You know, let's take another look at this. And I think I convince you it's just never happened. And so when Blahovitz says that he didn't win, I mean, there we are. We're done. And I, it's a big problem for me. Because he deserves credit. And he did. He won three rounds. Common opinion. Chael's opinion, but it's all, I mean, I've, I've proved it for you. I've proved it official. 66%. Said he won three rounds and he lost two. The damage was also incredible. And you're never going to get through this. This, uh, this used to drive Chuck Liddell crazy. And Chuck was right, but it hasn't changed from 20 years ago when it drove him crazy. It was just leg kicks. They're just not going to get, they've never gotten the same credit as a punch to the face, but they're never going to. And Chuck was an advocate, as quiet as Chuck was. He did make statements on this, trying to explain the damage. And and Chuck even broke it down. I mean, this is 20 years ago, and I remember him breaking it down. Remember Chuck? Guys were wearing those tight shorts that George St. Pierre made fashionable, but Chuck didn't. When everyone was wearing those, Chuck was still wearing those long ones, but he brought those shorts up. He brought up guys that wear those shorts. And he said, Man, if I'm chopping you right there, that short covers it. That guy, pull that short up. That guy's got hematomas, that guy's leg's purple. I hit him in the face, he gets a swollen eye, I get credit. I kick him in the leg. I've done more damage, I don't get any credit. That, that's fine. We understand that point. We, we don't we don't disagree with that. But at what point? To what extent? If you hit a guy in the face and he goes down, fight doesn't end. He 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 keeps scrambling, right? But he goes down. Okay, but now let's say you kick a guy in the leg and he goes down. At what point do we have to see? I mean, I, I'm bringing this up for Blahovitz because I understand those first three rounds were very competitive. Blahovitz damaged him, not maybe. He visibly damaged him. And I give Uncle Lai of credit. I'm not picking on Uncle Lai here. That's a tough guy to adjust, to fix through that, to have to switch your stance, to have to switch it back again, to ultimately have to avoid the, <coughs> the realm completely. Excuse me. <coughs> Take the fight to the ground. I give, I give Uncle Lai a ton of credit. It doesn't change what happened. It doesn't change the damage that Blahovits did to both legs. He was very effective. He won three rounds to two. Not maybe for sure. Now there was a there was a 10-8 round. I get that there's problems with my overarching premise. I, I do get that, but I'm I'm factually correct here. Comes out and says that he didn't win. Now I want to share this just from my perspective, okay? I did a live show on YouTube. And when you go live for post-fight analysis, as you guys can imagine, you got to be very prompt, right? They fade to black, roll the credits, boom. What's up, guys? Let's talk about it, right? That's, so I only live a matter of minutes, a mile from here, right? In a 35-hour mile speed zone, you got to get parking just minutes away. So I watched the conclusion of the fight at home with my son. I then grab my mobile device, I bring up ESPN+, Plus, and I'm watching and listening to the post-fight interviews. I sat in my parking spot and watched Blahovitz say I did not win. I watched him catch himself and correct himself to not say that he lost, and I appreciated that. I then... Got out of my car and I just got the device. I'm not looking at it now. Relevant just from, I just shared my perspective with you. But I can hear what he says, but I don't see it. And what he says is they're interviewing Uncle Live and Joe Rogan goes over and says to Uncle Live, DC and I thought you won the fight. And Blahovitz comes over and says, Yes, he won. Give him the belt. And now I'm real, now I'm I'm pissed at Blahovitz. I'm 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 red hot at Blahovitz that he would make such a concession as a way of looking like a nice guy. So I came and I spoke to you guys. I did a YouTube bit on that. Boy, my phone was ringing. People said, Chit, what are you talking about? That Blahovitz went over So He said Blahovitz was shoving it in their face. Blahovitz was pissed. I said, what? I only heard the words. He made a concession. Give him the belt. Rogan acted like he was a good sport and a nice guy. And they said, no, 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 no. So that's not what happened at all. He said, you've got his words right. He was furious. Joe Rogan goes over in front of the world. Blahovitz is just standing there. Joe Rogan goes over and says, DC and I thought you won. It was inappropriate as hell. They were smashing it in the face of Blahovitz to the point that Blahovitz came over and it was his way of calling out the bias. Oh yeah, just give him the bell. This is what people are telling me. And I must tell you, I didn't see it. I only heard it. It wasn't my interpretation impression. I'm bringing that to you because was it yours? Was it yours? Because that's a, that's a very different story. That's very different if Blahovitz, who is trying to be polite, and then feels that they're going to end the night with Uncle Liev and the commentary team that is going to absolutely influence the audience. The commentary team is going to influence the audience more than the fight. It is a very rare time, but it is a number of times where the commentary team was leading towards one guy. We're all sitting at home going, what the hell are you guys watching? But they're giving it to one guy, and then the decision comes in, it was the other guy, and they're all surprised faced but then, right, the internet, which runs our sport, comes and backs the commentary team. You go, no, wait a minute, They it's a it's a rare time, but they... They had it wrong, and I only use that as an example to tell you there's nothing that's going to influence the audience more than the commentary team, which includes the fight, and if Blahovitz walked over and he was pissed off that they did that, it's a very different story. I will have a very different interpretation. And I'm just asking you, I'm admitting that I didn't see it, I only heard it. Did I have that wrong? Were the people that called me right? Was Blahovitz pissed? Was he being condescending? Please help me to understand. All right, guys, let's work through this. So, Chael's perspective, I'm doing a live YouTube with you guys right after the fight. So the press conference is going on. One of you was nice enough to let me know that Dana had announced Jamal Hill versus Glover Teixeira one-month Brazil World Championship. Now, I went with that. I trusted you guys. We were having a back and forth. I went with it. I didn't think twice. My producer was going to edit it out. He thought we were being played. He didn't believe it. So, and I'm just bringing that to you because this has some moving parts. And Dana told the story. Story goes like this. Uncle I of Blahovitz fight. Somebody's gonna get a championship, and off we go. It comes to a draw. Dana goes in the back with his team and is not happy. This is Dana talking. He said, "I hated the fight." He might have said the word "sucked." He said, "We're in the back. I'm Dana. I was tuned out by the, the the third round." Our team came up with the idea of Jamal versus Glover, next month, get that belt back going. He said it actually cheered him up. He just came and told this story. Now, guys, did that fight suck? And if you say yes, did it suck by the third round? I had a little bit different take on it. And one of it was because I was pretty interested in Uncle Lyev. I've been hearing this name. Ali's been telling me about this guy for a while. I ended up on an airplane. I was coming home from the World MMA Awards, and I went down a rabbit hole. You know, you do that. You search a guy, and you start reading. Nemkov and Moldovsky have one thing in common. They both lost Uncle Iev. And Uncle Iev did some of his most impressive work at heavyweight. So he's a great big guy, and he doesn't he doesn't strike me that way. You know, some some guy, they know, as big as they look. And according to the things that I was reading, I'm as good as the internet, but it said that Uncle I was in college. He got into college, and there was a program at the college. Like, you could get courses, and it was, I think it was Sambo. And if that's accurate, you're now talking about a kid that's 18 or 19 years old. You're not talking about the, the traditional Dagestan... MMA fighter that you hear about who grew up his entire life in the wrestling rooms. I mean, I, I kind of wonder like, hey, is this accurate? That that strikes me as a surprise, but they were very specific in when he started, how he found it, where he began to compete. It was just a really interesting story. Not to mention, I noticed that Uncle I was 30 years old. I did not know that Jan was 39. I didn't know that, you know, Glover was having a little bit of a a back and forth, just because of his age, right? There's that tipping point where, where is this cool? Where is this? Hey, there's not a lot of shelf life. I don't know. I didn't know that Yawn was a year and some months behind him. So I see that and it's like, oh, okay. I'm starting to see where Uncle Lyev is the favorite. So at any rate, I just share that with you because when the fight started, I was very interested. I want to see how Uncle Lye is moving. And by the way, he was he was light on his feet. And he did the same thing with Anthony Smith, but he really did move around well. And Blahovitz is stalking him. He's got the power. Blahovitz starts going to that damn calf kick. And it's working. And there's not an answer for it. Okay, great. Well, I just spent the whole day reading about Uncle Liev. Uncle going to time this, change elevation, get that double leg, or push him in the fence, and we're going to go into some grappling. Well, no, Blahovitz wasn't having that either. And that was interesting to me. And Uncle starts to look very human. And that was interesting to me. Particularly because of the age gap that I didn't know existed. So I was enjoying the match. I guess that's my point. I was enjoying the match. And those calf kicks are a son of a gun. That's kind of the new weapon in MMA. And we, and we go through different eras. Like, like, like there was an era of the flying knee. And everybody's doing the flying And everybody's getting hit with it and it will be back again someday. But this calf kick business is being very difficult to stop. You know, can I share my story with this? I sparred with Benson. i never seen a calf kick. I've been fighting my whole life. i have never seen a kick to the calf. Never one day. Not one day. I watch videos. I get magazines that do breakdowns. When I, mean, I had major access my entire life to techniques, i have never seen that. I've never heard the word calf kick. And I'm sparring with Benson Henderson, and he keeps on kicking me in the calf. Now, Benson Henderson was the champion of the world. I can't figure out what's wrong with him. He's missing. He Aim for the thigh. He's missing my that damn. He's missing my thigh by eight inches, and this is the champion of the world. Oh look at that! He, he missed my thigh again. What's wrong with his range? I'm really thinking that as he's hitting me in the calf. And the workout ends, and I said that to him. Hey, what's going on with the range on those kicks? He said I wasn't. I was aiming for your calf. I said you were aiming for my calf, and he looks at me and he says, "Hurts, don't it?" I said, yeah, it hurts. But that was the day that I learned about the calf kick. I swear to goodness, nobody had ever done it before, at least not in MMA. I've been following the sport very close. They're not a technique that gets past me. Whether I know how to do it or not, whether I've mastered it, I, I know it exists. That was the day I learned about a calf kick. And it was one of those great moments because that's all Henderson said. Hurts, don't it? Oh my goodness, he was aiming for the calf. It was real interesting. So when Uncle I was having to change stances, as opposed to take distance away. As Blahovitz is walking him down, Blahovitz is looking for that. He's gonna knock him out. I mean, according to Blahovitz, he's gonna knock is looking for that Polish power. It was an interesting fight. He did not wilt, he did not back down. I was very compelled to it. And as the rounds were going by, I thought there was another one for Blahovitz. This is just my take. Did you was it terrible? Now, when a fight is completed, right? I mean you you, get, you every every single part of it, you have a suck moment, the whole fight sucks. We understand that. But Dana said he thought this thing was kind of tough to watch three rounds in. And I, I admit it wasn't a big shoot-em out. It wasn't really what we expected, but I thought there was some expect uh effectiveness there, Blybahovitz. I thought Uncle Layev having to switch his stances and not quite figuring out what he's doing. And while Uncle Liv's bottom part of his body was being compromised. It's very interesting, the poker face that he keeps. I mean, you got the announce team going, hey, he's hurt. Hey, whoa, he's having a hard time standing." we see him switching stances, right? We're getting tipped off to what's going on. But you look at his face and everything's fine. I thought it was interesting. I thought the whole thing was interesting. Now, make sure you don't miss this point, which is Jamal Hill who's going to fight Glover for the world championship, was scheduled to fight Lionheart, which is an awesome fight. The people were looking forward to seeing. So Anthony gets the opportunity taken away. What does he get? What does he do? Now, I have a very biased opinion, which I will disclose to you up front, but I would like him to be the backup fighter. And that's a grandiose position for a guy that's coming off of a loss. Well, I don't agree with that. I've never agreed with that. Never, ever, ever. The Olympic Games used to do something called a round robin. So within the Olympics, you could lose. You could get beat and you could win the Olympic Games. John Smith, 1992. Mark Schultz, Los Angeles, 1984 disqualification. But the point is the same. You can come back and you can win. I've watched LeBron James lose on a Tuesday and be crowned world champion on a Friday. I think that's awesome. I just share with you, it's very in line. I mean, that is how sports go. Real sports, you don't go this undefeated in this whole business like this. Lionheart gets in there with Uncle I of, who, according to Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier, should be the world champion right now? Gives him fits, breaks his leg, bounces back and together with Jamal. I, I, I don't think because of the outcome of his last fight that he would be disqualified from being in a backup position for that match. And you can't tell me that he's not good enough to do it. He was just, it was just going to fight Jamal, and now Jamal is doing. Like you can't tell me that he's not in that mix. And I would just like to see that happen. I think it was a real opportunity lost by him. It was no fault of his. And there was one other side to it, which is Jamal had released a video. Did you guys happen to see that? It was, got his iPhone, he turns around, it was just a selfie. But it was a video and he starts shouting, yeah, you know, he was showing his excitement, something like this. I just think you guys might be interested in how the sausage was made. Jamal was not notified that he was going to be fighting Glover, period, let alone in a month, let alone for a world championship. He found out when we found out. And I think that's, I think you might think that's interesting. First time I ever ca- a call from Dana, Dana thought my name was Kale Sonnen. And when he called me the first time, I don't have his phone number, it pops up. says, Kale, it's Dana. And I said, hey, and he said, you want to fight Anderson Silva? And I said, yeah, I'll find Anderson Silva. And he goes, good, because I just announced it on Sports Center." So that was like the way you found, and th- there is something really interesting about that, right? There's something interesting that Dana could go to the press conference and make the announcement that he knows the boys are going to back his move. And there was something about seeing Jamal's genuine excitement. I just thought you guys might appreciate that. I, I thought maybe that was an interesting thing. I do want you to answer me though. Did Uncle Lion versus Blahovitz suck? And if it did, did it suck by the third round? Lionheart, backup position. That's not some wonderful, right? It's not so, but it's a position. He's training, he's got his eye on the ball, he's planning to go to Brazil. Nobody else has that spot. Let's give it to Anthony. Fellas, do you sometimes lack confidence in the bedroom? There's nothing worse than not being able to perform when the time is right. I know many of you can relate, so have no fear, RexMD is now here. RexMD is FDA approved and the most trusted leader in men's telehealth. They have sponsored this episode to help you always be prepared, RexMD has made it simple, easy, and cost-effective to help all men out there last longer and feel more confident in the bedroom. I know this can be an embarrassing topic to bring up. Most guys hate going to the doctor for anything, let alone something like this. But I'm here to tell you RexMD has made the whole process quick and easy with just a few clicks of the button. You can talk to a medical professional, create a personalized plan, and get the products discreetly shipped straight to your door within two days. No waiting rooms, no embarrassing trips to the doctor, no insurance and no co-pays. They can also help with overall sexual health, hair growth, pain relief and sleep aid. RexMD has already helped over 300,000 guys gain confidence quickly and conveniently act now to take advantage of their best deal yet by heading to rexmd.com jail. Our exclusive deal will save you up to 90% off where you're only going to pay $2 per dosage. Starter packs of generic Viagra or Cialis are now available for our listeners to get started. That's rexmd.com jail for up to 90% off. I love dressing up. Who doesn't like looking nice and feeling confident when they step out? I like to think I look pretty well put together. The one thing that is a pain is finding the right dress shirt. That's always hard because most of the time dress shirts are so stiff or they wrinkle really easy. The dress shirt has been due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Rhone's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt I have ever worn and here's why. Rhone's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy whatever life throws your way. Let me tell you, this is not your grandfather's dress shirt. It's a classy and sharp, while yet comfortable, stretchy and wrinkle-free shirt. I didn't know we could have had all of this in one shirt but roan figured it out with gold fusion the anti-odor technology you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long on top of that roan is 100 machine washable so you can ditch extra trips to the dry cleaner and your cans of starch guys i run hot especially when i wear dress shirts it's hard for me not to sweat in a long sleeve in front of the lights since i have to dress up so often i've been trying to find a dress shirt that is a little more breathable while still maintaining a dressed up look i found that combo in roan the commuter shirt can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next head to roan.com chael r-h-o-n-e dot com slash use the promo code chael to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order. When you head to Rhone, R-H-O-N-E.com slash jail and use the promo code jail, it's time to find your corner office comfort. Patty the batty, apparently he's not so bad. I've got to tell you, there's a number of things in promoting that work. You're just you just not going to get them wrong. And they're not even intended, but they work. One thing that works is when Dana throws his arm around a guy, and we all know it, we are going to have some front runners that jump on that bandwagon and say, all right, the train's left the track, he, he's got the blessing of the promoter, it's going to be a great career and I'm going to get on, but you are going to have the detractors and they're going to come passionately. Every fight you have a detractor, right? I mean, that's what being a fan is. Okay, I want this guy, I don't want this guy. But having a passionate emotion about what is very different. And any time Dana throws his arm around a guy, the detractors come in very passionately. It's just a story that always works. Now, Patty, somewhere because he appears to have a great belief in his future potential by the boss. Somewhere within that, there's a misconception that he's going to run through the UFC. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody is going to do that. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. Like, there was a real belief after that fight. Okay, Paddy's not as good as we thought he was. He's been exposed. Excuse me. That is so incredibly rude to Truck Gordon, who, by the way, went into that fight with a 19-4 and record. That dude is a hammer with some of the best coaches and training in the world. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. Now Gordon came to play. Make no mistake. Patty found himself in a fight that was harder than he knew it was going to be. But he responded. I have not seen anything from Patty that shows me anything less than a potential to be a future world champion. I haven't seen it. I've seen him deal with adversity. I've seen guys try to grapple with him. I've seen guys get him tired. I've seen guys surprise him. I saw him get cracked in his chin. That would have put anybody down. You guys go back and watch that fight, and you watch a left hook straight on, right on the bone. He didn't flinch. Turns out, Patty's a pretty tough guy. And you know what? He might have a secret. Patty in this weight issue business is very real. He got, I'll give, I'll give you guys a story. Molly and Patty are very close. And Drake bet on him. He bet on the two of them. He did it in a parlay, and He won millions of dollars. I want to say he bet two million and he got, it was like 3.9. I'm changing them. perhaps you guys have seen this, but it was quite literally millions of dollars. And Drake puts that out. And it's kind of cool, right? I mean, Drake's a big fight fan. That's kind of cool. We, we, we can use stuff like that. So Patty and Molly make a video and respond it to Drake's post. I'm going back in time. This was back the England card. When Curtis Blades hurt Aspinall's knee, just to put a perspective for you. And Molly says, hey, Drake, can I get a Roly?" She straight up asks him, doesn't know that I'm total stranger. Can I have a Rolex? So Patty weighs in and he's like, man, can I get one too? And so Drake tells him yes, and he gets some Rolexes, and it was just, it was just kind of this cool thing. I'm telling you that story because I happened to catch the video of Patty opening that box. I have seen pictures of Patty going around the uh, fatty, right? Patty the fatty. I don't. I'm not. I'm not into the whole thing. I thought they were photoshopped. My God, I did. I mean, he, the, massive amount of weight, almost unrecognizable. And I know this is a built-in story of his career, and I've never been a supporter of it. And I, I really don't like the fatty stuff. However, there is another side to this, which is the absolute discipline and the absolute flip of the switch mentally to pull that weight off. And I don't ever hear him complaining about it. I mean, I, I watched Patty this past week. I'm talking about last week, but he put out he put it out an interview with Dana. I'm assuming that was very fairly, fairly timely. Guys, cutting weight. Guys, pulling that kind of weight, man. He, it's it's very it's hard to talk. Your mouth gets dry. It's hard to talk. Then I, but then I caught Patty on Thursday at a press conference. I just didn't see him complaining. I didn't see him dragging around. And I go back to Rich Franklin. Rich Franklin was the first guy that ever got notoriety for pulling down to weight. And Rich used it, so people tell the story, as a weapon. He was able to weaponize it. He'd weigh in at 185, he'd get in the ring at 202, he'd be fully hydrated, he'd be feeling great. People go, man, how are you doing this? And I just fast forward to Patty, because there is something remarkable there, right? There's another side to this weight going up, and now we say, "How how are you doing this, and why aren't you tired? Why aren't you dragging? How come... When a fight turns out to be harder than you thought it would be and you drug all this weight and you did, you did everything wrong, I mean, acor- according to the stories, how are you at full energy? How do you have pep in your step? How come you're never complaining? How come you show up to all your interviews when you've got to be uncomfortable and just down in the dumps? I'm sharing with you, right? We can, we can go tease Patty for eating the chocolate donuts or we can ask him, how are you doing that? How are you getting that weight off? What is your system? I just think it's interesting. I'm just bringing it to you guys because I think that it's interesting. And I'm seeing a guy within Patty who, of course, is getting a little bit of a bad rap. Story coming right out of that is he lost. Okay, set that aside because he could have lost. Not only could have he lost, he could have lost 30-27. Truly. Gordon might have beat him 30-27. And if the judges had that unanimously, there's no problem. The other side of the coin, Patty could have won 30-27. It was it was a really hard match. Can we agree on that? You guys will remember Thug Rose and Carla Barza. The worst non-activity, non-offensive match in UFC history. Well, that's one way to say it. But another way to say it is it was the closest match in UFC history. There has never been a fight closer think Carla versus Rose. There has never been a fight where we don't know who we thought won and we just watched it. I think that's a, a literal statement. I'm trying to prove a point, a little bit of a broad shot. I think that's a literal statement. Tell me one. Tell me a fight that was closer than those two. Tell me a fight that was harder to judge. Tell me a fight where you did not know who was going to win, but you would support the decision either way and you're just glad somebody else has to figure it out, right? Different way to say it. But Patty comes in, he's got the blessing of the UFC, he's working up his card, he's a co-main eventer, he's getting a big pop from the crowd, got some good opportunities out there, and he's supposed to just run through the division, Run, run through the UFC. What are you talking about? I mean, I'll just share for you that I don't know that that's fair, and I'm seeing some major potential from him. Let's not disrespect Chuck Gordon, and let's not even disrespect the judges. We had a good, hard fight. And if you want to move up from the co-main event, you want to move up, there's only one spot to go. You got to be able to do championship rounds. That's always a question. Is the guy of the endurance, is the guy of the discipline, the dedication, everything that it takes to be prepared, a lifestyle to just be prepared to go championship rounds. And we put a big question mark over his condition. You know, I'm not seeing that yet with Patty. He's not the other side of the coin, where he's weaponizing, where he's got that that, that George St. Pierre pace. I, I understand that, but he is not fading. He is not wilting at all. I think he's ready for championship rounds. I think it's Patty the not so batty, and I think you guys are being a little hard on him. What's Patty do next? It's an interesting spot, guys. There is a rule. Okay, you'll run into coaches. Just take sports when when you were kids. You will have coaches. Then you have another coach and he says the same thing. Or then you go to some other practice. You hear the same thing. Got all these coaches that are saying the same thing. What What they'll always do is tell you what you must do to be a champion. You must, and it's a lot of buzzwords, it's dedication, it's sacrifice, you hear a lot of these buzzwords, but they'll say you must, and just to explain that from a coach's perspective, you will take a pool of champions, and then you'll search for the commonalities that they all had. And it's not all of the same, but you do have those buzzwords, you do have the dedication, you do have the sacrifice, that's where that comes from, so that's why coaches will say that you must. Now, I I only share that as an example with you, because there are things that you must do to reach the highest highs of stardom in this sport. And perception is reality. You are perceived to be the best guy in the world. You're the best guy in the world. Everything in life is that way. It's just glaringly obvious here. Like, I will hear your guys' opinion on who the top 10 is. I can uh, Not even your opinion. I can go to an expert who's paid to do it 100% of the time. It is a popularity contest, 100% of the time. 100% 100% of the time, in boxing is, f- is far more obvious than our sport. If I was to ask you who the greatest boxer of all time is, you'll answer the question. But you will stop and you'll try to debate who was more popular between Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, and Floyd Mayweather, just by example. You won't come down to who made Olympic teams, who, who made amateur teams, who knocked out more guys. You will not do that. And nobody does. It's a popularity contest. I'm just sharing it for you. Because to get to some of those highest highs, there's things that you must do if you're looking at a pool of guys who've gotten there and commonalities that they all had. And one of those things is have an opponent, have somebody you call out. Even if you don't fight him, even if it's your jumping off point. Even if there's this rivalry and this heat, and that's what you're doing to get some explanation, then you make the announcement that you're fighting somebody else and when and where, but you have have this guy. And it's one thing within the commonalities that Patty does not do, and it's worked anyway. So apparently it's no longer a commonality. And I find it interesting. We talk about what's going to be next for Patty. What do you guys want to see next for Patty? But where does Paddy want to go? And that's a little bit of a hard one. I mean, if I was to go back to Sugar Sean, Sugar Sean was having a hard time getting a match with a top-ranked guy, but he wanted it. He was calling for it. Give me one, give me three, give me nine, get me into the top ten. I mean, he was making it clear that he wanted to climb. Opportunity comes for a number one contender. Boom, he takes it. He takes the number one rank. And I'm just sharing with you, we at least knew where we wanted to go, and I don't think we do with Patty. We not only don't have an opponent, we don't know if he wants to be a top guy. As a matter of fact, the one time that Paddy spoke about this, it was very early on in his career, and he said, I'm not fighting any top guys. He didn't like his pay. Said, so I don't like my pay, I don't like what they're giving me. Don't give me a top guy. I'm not gonna fight him if you try to give him to me. I'm not fighting top guys for this. Well, they redid his contract. He comes out and said, I'll fight, I'll fight anybody you want, but he still didn't call for it. And this is just an observation by me. But I think that it does put us in a little bit of a tough spot if we're gonna discuss what do we want to see next for Patty. Because this is a two-way street. Patty is not calling for the top guys, right? And and I'm not using names. I'm not saying Justin Gaethje. I'm not saying Michael Chandler. I'm saying even in a broad stroke, right? Sugar Sean wasn't saying names either. He said, give me a top guy. Give me a ranked guy. I want in those rankings. I want to move closer up to number one. Give me a rank guy. But, but we still had direction. Now we can go look and we can see who the right guy is and kind of get what we want to do. Interesting. We can have a conversation. Patty hasn't even told us that he wants to do that. But it's a two-way street. Those top guys aren't going after him either. It's a very interesting spot because Sean found himself here as well. Right, I'm using another example in a like time frame. Where Sean had the placement on the card. He had the attention. And the guys that were ranked higher, they didn't want to fight. They're down here. And this is a miss that every fighter makes and they will continue to make. Their ranking, they believe, is more important than their placement. There is nothing more important than your placement. If you are the champion of the world and you are jerking the curtain... At 3 o'clock, when the only reason they're putting that fight on is to make sure that the cameras and lights are in the right position, just so you understand that. If you're the champion of the world, you're fighting at 3 o'clock. You've got a main event that's making that walk at 10 o'clock Eastern. You are not even close to in the same spot of the sport. Now, why that example has never happened, the champion doesn't go first. I use it to illustrate my point that when I tell you nothing is more important then your placement, Sean had the placement. He didn't have the ranking, right? He went out of order, started on third base, had to had come to first and second after that. But Patty the baddies is finding himself in a similar spot. And it irritated me on Sean because people were saying there was a narrative, he's not fighting the best guys. Well, he was trying to. Why weren't they trying to fight him? He's the co main event. He's the one on the poster. He's the one getting the questions at the press. Why are you trying to fight him? I don't understand that. And there's something within the ego. It's not a fear. That's what people loved is how oh, he's scared. They, they, they loved it. We're, we're all scared. None of us are scared. However, you want to do it, quit bringing it up. Everyone's scared. Nobody's scared. Doesn't make a damn bit of difference. There's just something you don't feel that you're supposed to do, right? If you're ranked number five and this guy's not ranked at all, you don't feel as though you should call him out. You feel as though you're going backwards. You're wrong. You're wrong. Don't, you're chasing rankings. You got to be chasing placement. Whoever is on the card higher than you, not what he's ranked. If he's on the card higher than you, that's the guy that you've got to go for. And there's dialogue today, Patty was exposed, Patty lost that fight, Patty's not as good. There's all this dialogue, that's okay, this is very normal, right? This isn't just Patty, 11 guys, 11 guys got beat, 11 guys won. Over the weekend alone, I'm just sharing, this is very normal, but why aren't those top guys calling for him? In fact, some of them have been quite Complimentary. Oh, I wish him well. I like what he's doing. I mean, some some of them had done this. But if you go back and you want to find who did that, think Chael's leaving a name out? I'll give you a little homework. You go back and see who did that. Some bitch is a main eventer. The guy that came out and did that and wished Patty well and did not call for is a main eventer. He doesn't have to. That's what I'm trying to illustrate here. I'm trying to make this point that Patty's not calling for those top guys and they're not calling for him. Now, what do you do if you're Patty? What do you do if you want to carry Patty? You're going to deny it up, down, and sideways that there's any politics here. You're going to, And you might even believe it, but people have got a subconscious too. You've got a guy who's got the blessing of barstool sports that's very massive. You would like for him... To have, and what should we call it, guys? We're not going to call it favorable. That's the word, but we're not going to call it. Should we call it helpful? Matches. You would, even if it's within your subconscious. Why give him a rank guy? Why? Patty is in a very rare spot in his ability to draw. His ability to command attention and not need a B-side. There's two fighters of all time that can draw regardless of opponent. Mike Tyson and Oscar De La Hoya. I think that list needs amended. I think that Floyd goes on that list. I think Conor goes on this. I'm quoting the great Max Kellerman. So you get a guy like Patty. He's not a main eventer. They haven't used him in a main event yet. Even though he's getting the loudest reception. Even though he's getting the questions at the press conference. Even though he's getting the support on social media. You have quantifiable proof. You have very quantifiable numbers that a amateur sleuth could turn to. You're not putting him in a main event, but why would you? Why would you? Tell me why want to get him a ranking. What do you want to get him a ranking for? Well, I want to get him closer to a top. For what? Answer the question. There's an answer to it. What is the answer? Why do you want to build a guy up? Why do you want him to win fights? Why do you want his ranking? Why do you want to do those things? Because that's how you get him over with the audience. Give a damn what he's ranked. Don't give a damn if he's got a championship. Those are just things that always come in line with getting over with the audience. If you've already won the audience... Why would you try to put those things that could, could derail a guy, even if this is subconsciously? I'm just, I'm just asking you, if you're matching Patty up, where do you want to put him and why? Why do you want to put him with the number three guy? Why do you want to put him with the number two guy? Why do we want to get him to a championship? Now, if you really think about those, it's a pretty easy answer because that's what draws. That's what moves the needle. That's how I get him over. Excuse me, he's already over. It's a very unique spot. It's a very, very unique spot. It's one that Sugar Sean just lived until Sugar Sean lived and it hadn't even been done before. Now you got two guys in essentially the same era separated by two weight classes doing the same thing. It's an interesting spot. So be very careful with your answer. I mean, if you want to be the smart guy in the room, don't come out and tell me you put him in there with Chandler. Don't come out there and tell me you put him in there with Gaethje unless you have a reason for doing it. Dave Portnoy, who is the president of Barstool Sports, got into something with Justin Gaethje over the weekend, and Dave let us in on it. Dave is very good at that. He is a a transparent. Said that Justin Gaethje gave him a hard time for sponsoring Patty the Batty. Dave fired right back. I'll leave it out because this thing escalated. This thing escalated a little faster than it needed to. And Justin Gaethje told him to whip your ass. Now, Justin Gaethje can't and won't and didn't even mean that he's going to whip Dave Portnoy's ass. But he could fight Dave's guy. That storyline alone, what I just told you, makes Justin Gaethje... And Patty the I mean that it was big to start with that storyline that I just added in the support of an entire media company that makes it a massive fight. So is that what you want to do? And if the answer is yes, are you sure Patty can beat him? You don't need to get Gaethje a win. You don't need to get a you don't need to get a veteran anything. He's got to go out and do that stuff on his own. But I think that Gaethje was just handed the golden ticket. To be opposite Patty. He was just handed it accidentally by Dave Fortnite. What's he gonna do with it? You guys got any problem with what I'm saying? You got any problem with seeing Patty the Batty versus Justin Gaethje? A term that I believe came out in 2016. No political statement here, but I believe that was part of the Trump campaign. This term "fake news," and it caught on. It was one of these things, and I didn't, I didn't believe it. Right? I thought these were just things that you say. And so, over time, more people start coming out and talking about their frustration with the media. Now, where I go with this is Dana cut a promo about Michael Chandler versus Conor McGregor. And he was irritated, he was legitimately irritated, and here's what he said. I never said that ever fucking once. This is what happens when you do interviews, and people listen to your interviews, and he said, so, if Conor McGregor came back right now, who would you be looking at as an opponent? Well, I said, well, if he did, if that happened, and that scenario played out right now, Chandler would be a fun fight. Never fucking once did I say we're doing Conor McGregor versus Chandler. I don't even know when Conor McGregor is coming back. And these are why. This is why I don't like to answer these kind of questions, mm. because some fucking idiot somewhere on the internet puts out that that's what I said, and it's not even remotely close to what I said. People write stories off other fucking interviews with other people when they couldn't even a- ask proper questions. If you it's a, I don't know. I was in a good mood. Now you guys are fucking killing me. I'm sorry about that. I'm kidding. Sorry, okay. I'm kidding. I went back because I made a piece on this, and wouldn't you know, old Shale got it right. I told the story within that context that it was not a fight announcement that Dana had prefaced it with, but I want to go back to it again because that's a hell of a fight. I mean, really, it's it's very hard to make a fight now, or to tell everybody, "Yeah, get excited! This is what's going to be." When you don't, you don't even have it. A guy doesn't even have a license, right? You got all of these moving parts, and you don't want to promise the audience something that isn't going to be delivered—good, bad, or indifferent. You want to make sure that you you're, you're very reliable with your audience. So you see where that gets to be a tight spot. And you see where that question just gets avoided. Now, I don't I don't know that I would have predicted that this would have quite blown up into this kind of an emotional reaction, but let's just hold the thought because it was the first time that Dana offered a name, even in a hypothetical, against Conor McGregor. And you know what? It's an interesting match, isn't it? It's a very interesting match. And I would have so many other questions. First off, I want to see the fight. That's the match that I want to see. But where would they do it? You might remember when Connor fought Cowboy Cerrone. They were both 55-pounders. But it was like a month after. It was around January 19th. And you had the holidays. And Dana said, hey, we get two 55-pounders. But we're going to weigh him in at 70. But just imagine it's at 55. As it affects our rankings and our matchmaking. And what we're going to do moving forward. Whatever happens in this match. It's going to affect 55. It was an interesting point. I think that we all got it. Even though it's a little bit untraditional. And possibly that would be the answer, though, with Connor and Chandler. And then that opens up a whole nother thing of parody. If Chandler goes up, is he ever coming back down? What if the answer's no? I mean, yeah, you just open a whole nother set of what-ifs and possible matchups. And I think it's interesting. I think the styles are interesting. I think the X's and O's are interesting. Do you want to know one thing that was missing? Because a lot of people did believe they were not correct like I was. They did not tell you that it wasn't a fight announcement like I did. You want to know one thing that was missing was a response from Connor. Now, maybe that's because Connor did know that it was not an announcement. He did know that it was a discussion, but I don't remember anything getting this close to Connor McGregor and not having a response. I mean, I've seen people tweet about him. If the tweet did well, he's coming back. I've seen people say his name on television. If it caught a reception, he's coming back. And now, he's coming back tonight. You throw one, he's throwing five back at you. And there was reporting. Even if it turned out to be inaccurate, the reporting was still out there. But an announcement was made there was going to be Chandler versus Connor, And I didn't see the response from Connor, and that's uncommon. So what's my point, right? <laughs> what is my point? Well, it's open for interpretation. What do you think? Do you think he went quiet because he doesn't like the idea, or do you think it's just the opposite, right? The louder Connor gets and comes at somebody, he always pulls the rug out from him, and they all take the bait. They're all fish on the hook, and they take the bait, and they think this is the real moment, right? But Red panty night is still a very real thing. What do you make? What do you make of him being quiet? Something? Nothing? I think it's an interesting match. I, I, I don't hate the idea. I don't know that I want it to go away. We're a long ways away. We're having discussions and back and forth. And one of the larger messages of this entire thing, one of the things that, oh, the big reveal was, we just don't know when he's coming back. Conor had talked about February. And I read a report last week that was done by MMA Mania. And they stated in the headline, USADA changes rule on retired fighter. And they stated what the rule was. Now, I wasn't looking to be a dick about it, but there was nothing within that article that I read that led me to believe they had changed a rule. From what I read, it was quite clear that they stated the rule for anybody that wasn't aware. But MMA says that they changed the rule. They went even further as to make a comparison to Conor McGregor, who retired, and T.J. Dillashaw. Went pretty far with the speculation on T.J. Dillashaw to say that he's not actually retired, that he's using the word to remove himself from the pool, to use things that would be opposite WADA, People think it's the United States anti-doping agency That's who coming and does the test for the rules that Wada set forth. It's it doesn't really matter. The point is this that was one hell of a speculation. TJ had an amazing career, but TJ's not coming back to the UFC. UFC is for champions and contenders. TJ was a champion and TJ was a contender. I'm just sharing with you, there was no, there was no dirty play there at all. It was all very above board. I don't think that USADA's changed the rule. I don't think they came out and they made an announcement that they changed the rule. I think that was a misinterpretation by MMA mania. I think USADA came out and stated the rule. I'm open to being wrong if you confront me with different evidence. But it is very relevant to the return of Conor McGregor, who last stated he will be ready to enter the pool in February. And now we know from the United States Anti-Doping Agency that it's gonna be six months from the day that he goes in. He can put himself in whenever he wants. He can do it right now. But if he does it right now, we start the clock and you go six months. So it's a meaningful period of time. I don't believe that Chandler's gonna be waiting, hanging around for it, but Chandler will be around. Even if it's a rumor, I think it's a fun one. I've had it with you. That's it for today's program, but thank you for listening, and thank you for continuing to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, like the one from D that says, I don't care what Chael says, but he's just so damn entertaining to listen to anyway. Well, thank you, D. I will take that, and I'm going to be back to give you another program on Friday, guys. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.